If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. On today's episode, I have a very special guest, Carly. Carly lives in Victoria with her gorgeous daughter, Remy Grace. It would be remiss of me not to warn you that tissues will be needed for this episode, and I strongly suggest you don't listen to it on public transport. Welcome to the podcast tonight, Carly. I would love to start with understanding what journey you went on to make the decision to um, embark on becoming a solo mum by choice. Sure. So I've always been a very independent woman. I've kind of always done my own thing. I had a couple of serious relationships in my you know, late teens, early 20s. Um, but they never really went, in, went anywhere. And in the back of my mind, I'd always said, oh, well, if I don't meet the right person, I'll just have a baby on my own. It's just what I'll do. I'm, I'm almost going to be a mum. Mm-hmm. have a baby on my own. That's just, just what I'll do. And it came to be that I thought, oh, well, if I haven't met anyone by 30, you know, you give yourself the deadline. If I have yeah. no one by 30, I'll just go and do it. That's just what I'll go and do. I'll go and have a baby on my own. Hadn't considered what was actually involved in the process, how much, how long it might take. I thought, you know, just yeah you just go and just get a donor and you just have a baby you know it's what you do it's just that like flipping comment on your head in your head and you just assume yeah. you need to actually act on it yeah no exactly yeah and so you know had a very active social life had a be- amazing group of friends and still do and we went out and enjoyed ourselves very thoroughly and you just Mr Wright just never came along and then 30 rolled around and I wasn't quite ready then I was still having a bit too much fun so mm-hmm. I've pushed it out to 35 because that's going to be next milestone and, you know, hadn't really given any thought to, you know, your body's ageing, you know, the body clock is ticking, but, you know, it's fine, I was having too much fun. So just continued on with that for a while and then got closer to, you know, 33, 34, okay, maybe I need to start really considering this. And I'd had the heard the uh, Monash IVF ads on the radio and how you can call and chat to a nurse and I thought, oh, yep, I'll just write that number down and I wrote that number down and I did nothing with it for another, you know, six to 12 months and then yeah. it was okay so you just turned 35 probably just pick up the phone and make that phone call so that's what I did in when I turned 35 and yeah made that appointment with the nurse and then another couple of months later I followed up with an appointment with the fertility doctor and the ball got rolling from there so yeah it was so a- how was the appointment with the with the nurse originally did it make you realize should I need to do this now or yeah it was 
kind of that validation of, okay, well, how old are you? You know, what's your kind of family history and things like that? Because my mum, I was a bit of a surprise. And so I came along and they they got married um, while I was, I was at the wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Mum's tummy. (laughs) So I was at the wedding for that. And then while she was still breastfeeding and on the mini pill with me, she fell pregnant with twins. So I just, wow, mum's very fertile. So I'll be very fertile so it'll be a quick instant process for me like it's not going to be yeah there's not going to be no delay that'll just be an issue and when you start talking to the nurses you realize that there might be a little bit more involved and it's probably good to you know, get some tests done and just find out you know what's actually going on in your body because you know I am different to my mother even though we are carbon copies of one another <laughs> I'm assuming like, your mother probably wasn't 35 when she got uh, miraculously pregnant when not definitely not no she was probably 20 24 <laughs> younger yeah <laughs> So it makes a big difference in the whole 10 years. Um, but, yeah, so kind of went from there. And the nurse was really good. It was very welcoming. I felt like I was in the right place. So that was just a natural step of trying to find the right doctor. And I just kind of asked around the kind of family groups and a few of them had reached out to uh, fertility doctors in my area. And one of them had actually recommended Prue, who I ended up going through. And as soon as I met her, it, we just clicked. And I thought, yeah, this is, this is the place to be. This is where I feel really comfortable and, okay, let's get this ball rolling at those days did you know anyone else who had conceived a child on their own I've worked in childcare for 22 years now a very very long time um and I've in in my recent years as a centre director I'd uncovered two families um were solo mums by choice um one was very open about it and other one was um was not which was completely fine um and so it was great knowing one other mum had done the same thing I could kind of just not you know not grill but just ask a few different questions and kind of get a feel for how it worked and be like okay well she can do it I can you know something I could do you know I've been around for a really long time now I've got the practical skills parenting is very different to working into working with other two people's children but gives you the practical skills you need to be able have that bit of confidence behind you so yeah I had known a couple of others and also being in childcare, families come in all different shapes and sizes you know there's kinship carers there's grand grandparents looking after their grandkids there's you know divorced couples your normal nucleus family is not the average these days you know it makeup is just so very different which is fantastic because you know our kids grow up in such a diverse world that it's not any different to them it's you know it's very different to back back in our day I suppose so it was yeah knowing that my family was going to be look different to the others wasn't never really an issue in my mind so yeah it was that was handy to have had that kind of experience up my, up my sleeve I suppose. So your next step was talking to a fertility specialist and how did that initial appointment go? Yeah, so that was that was good. I was able to get one probably the, the time frames, of course, were waiting for appointments I hadn't considered either because, yeah, it's a, still a medical thing and these all these things take time. So that took, a, I think it was about a month or so before I could get an appointment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, went in there, had a chat to her. She said, we'll do some basic tests, blood tests and things just to make sure everything's okay. Everything came back relatively normal. So we um, chose the IUI route to go down. Um, she said, we'll, we'll start with two rounds. Um, and then if the two rounds aren't successful, we'll come back in and we'll meet again. And then we'll see where we go from there. So I did my first round. Yeah, probably 
about a couple of months after that, by the time you have your blood tests and things and done it all, it's been a while since so everything's a little bit fuzzy, but it's, yeah, by the time you get tests and things done and get the ball rolling, we did the first IUI uh, on the weekend. So all of my IU actual insemination seemed to happen on the weekend. <laughs> I never felt that, yeah. <laughs> it's very, very straight. So I had my fertility doctor, but I always had someone else actually do the insemination because they were always on call on the weekend, but it was always two people. So I still felt really comfortable. And the doctor that ended up doing the inseminations would actually do them for another friend of mine who was going through IVF, but through the same clinic. So she's like, ah, we love him. He's fantastic. And I'm like, great. I feel comfortable there too. So it was, it just all kind of just all fell into place. So had no luck on round one and we went basically straight back in for round two. And that was no luck either. Um, so I went back in and met with her and she said, kind of don't know why things aren't working, but they just like normal normal pregnancies when couples are trying at home, you know, you don't give up after the first couple of months, you keep trying. So she goes, well, we'll give you another two rounds and then we'll go from there. Okay. Because when the kind of rules must have been changing, because I think after my third one had failed, um, because I think after two or three now you have to go to IVF, they won't let you do four, whereas I was lucky enough to do four rounds of IUI. Um, and so, yeah, I was like, she said, because I said to you, you can do the, the four, I've, I've actually yeah, got you this exemption. So we'll do the third round. If that doesn't work, we might actually go in and we'll do it like a bit of a clean out. We'll do a hysteroscopy. You know, we'll check out, check, go and have a look and see what's going on in there because yeah, there's no reason why this shouldn't be working. And so we went in there and did that. And it turned out that my cervix was basically closed over. She goes, there's a t- tiny 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 pinhole opening she goes so basically nothing's getting through so we've cleared all that out so everything now should be all systems go and I did my fourth IUI which was my fourth and final one because the funds were dwindling by that stage and I was considering okay if this one doesn't work do I go to IVF you know that's a lot more expensive can I afford that that's a whole different ballgame I hadn't considered that Mm -hmm. like okay well if this one doesn't work what will I do but luckily for me fourth and final was was the one and little Remy Grace was, yeah, what was conceived that day. So, yeah. <laughs> and so how did you go about selecting the donor that you were going to use? Did you use the same one for all four or did you change? No, I used different ones every time. The okay. list that I had was always very varied. So there's a, maybe only, I think there's only one that stayed on there the entire time that I was looking at the lists. Um, I would give them my top three preferences. And then usually I'd get matched. Sometimes I think at the first round I got matched with my first choice. And then all the other ones was with my second choice. But yeah, that's just, just the way it worked out. It was interesting looking at the donor lists because, you know, you get, you get a very short list with Monash or when I was doing it, you get a very short, just a little brief list. It's like a, like a summary card, really, you know, hair colour, eye colour, you know, ethnicity, skin colour, that kind of thing, some interest, basic interests. And then from that list, you could then request a more detailed medical profile. And so I would go through it with my mum. I'd, I'd kind of run my eye over it and pick out a couple and be like, okay, yep, they seem to be the ones I want to look more into because my mum's a nurse. So I can say, okay, this is the list. What are your thoughts? And she's like, okay, maybe let's get the profiles on bang, bang, bang. And we were always in sync. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, That's what I was thinking. And then we'd get the medical profiles and kind of run through that and see, you know, what medical histories they had, what matched up with our family, what was a no-go and things like that. So, okay, well, those ones might be out or not. These ones look pretty good. We'll put them through. Um, and yeah, so each time I was able to kind of pick two or three, um, Jenna, I wanted someone that looked like me, mm-hmm. that looked like my family. So not necessarily just like me, but like my brother or my dad. So few of them had hazel eyes, um, which is what uh, Remy's donor had. And my dad and, and my brother have hazel eyes. So 
if that was a kind of a nice little tie-in and that's what's kind of come to be. But otherwise, yeah, kind of pick similar, yeah, skin tone, eye, hair colour, things like that. And then the next thing I looked at was education level. I, I don't know why. You get this big long list of things, but I was like, okay, hair colour, eye colour, education. It was right down the end of the page. And I'm like, that's really strange, but it's not really. I work in childcare. But I've got a, my family is all teachers. Like, you know, that's, that's where my interests are. So I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And then it was more hobbies and things and what aligned with our kind of family values. So, yeah, it was a it was a fun process. It was you always kind of feel like you're under a bit of a time crunch as well because, you know, you get the list, you know, with only a couple of days to kind of make those choices before you need to get your preferences in to make sure you get matched in time to make sure you, it all kind of lines up. So it's, yeah, it's not like if you're looking through a magazine and there's no photos with Monash either, which, you know. It's not like the movies, people. It's really not. <laughs> it's like a Tinder where it's like no app where you can just swipe and go, oh, yeah, that one. It's, yeah, it's very different to what you envisioned it would be. Yeah, but, you know, at the end of the day, it works. <laughs> so your mum was obviously very supportive that she was going through yeah. the, the profiles with you. How was she yeah. when you originally told her that this is what you were considering? Very excited. So my dad passed away when I was about 27. Um, so it's, it's been my mum, my brother and I for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And he, my brother had my niece Evie in 2014 and I was quite involved with her as a young baby, which was pretty much what gave me the confidence to know that okay I could do this on my own you know she would come here for sleepovers and I was very involved in her life when she was from a very young age so which is and then we still are which is yeah amazing she's a beautiful beautiful little girl and yeah that gave me the confidence to know that I could do it on my own and so yeah I think we were just sitting around one day and it had been playing in the back of my mind as my birthday was coming up and we were just sitting in Stephen's bedroom one day mucking around with Evie and mum came in and I said oh I think I might have a baby on my own. I've been thinking about it and I think it's something I want to look into more. Mum's like, oh, I've been wanting to talk to you about this for ages. <laughs> so she was very supportive right from the get-go. So, yeah, it was such amazing to have that support. And, of course, my brother was, yeah, he's like, yeah, you could do this with your, with your eyes closed. Go for it. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, yeah, very, very supportive family. <laughs> and how wonderful to be able to choose the donors together and her to be so involved as well yes. with this tiny little family that you've got. Yeah. Well. Absolutely. Yeah, really, really special. So, yeah, it worked out very well. <laughs> so IUI number four worked. Very lucky. I mean, yes, there have been some people I've interviewed who number one has worked, but a lot of people doing no. going on to IVF and obviously different roles at the time. So lucky that you didn't have to yes. go down that path. Very lucky. Yep. How was pregnancy? Pregnancy was relatively good. I was bit nauseous in the early months I'm working in a childcare centre at the time as a centre director there'd be quite a few times where I'd be sitting at my desk and yeah the cook would be cooking lunch and this beautiful smell coming through and then I'd be standing at the front door with the door open just going oh I can't smell that meat right now (laughs) (laughs) I admin assistants looking at me yeah okay I'm like yeah I just I just need a minute So probably the first 16 weeks, I just had a, a, quite a bit of nausea. I was never, never, never vomited a lot, but just a bit nauseous and feeling a bit green. And then kind of that second trimester felt amazing, you know, looked good, was, you know, putting on a bit of weight, but not too much, was just, just loving life. And then, yeah, towards the end was pretty much the same. I worked right up until um, I was due to have her. So she was due on Halloween, 31st of October. Yeah. And that- Tuesday, I think, for, for in that year, and I worked up until the Friday before. Uh, went into town on the Saturday, 
Um, you know, went and got a few little bits and bobs because I still hadn't packed my baby bag because, you know, that's me and that's what I you know, I've got plenty of time. It's my first baby. I'll go over. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Came home from town, went to put the tights that I bought in the washing machine and, oh, oh my water's just broken. <laughs> oh, lucky I'm in the laundry. <laughs> Practical, yeah. Somewhere else, and that was great. So that all happened, and of course, I took myself to the hospital because that's what I do. Because I've I've got I was part of the midwife program, so I called her, and she was off sick that day. So I'm like, oh, that's fine. They're like, we'll just come in, we'll just check that it is the actual waters that have broken, and then you know we'll send you home, and we'll get the other midwife out, and you can yeah labour at home because yeah. It's independent me and I, I want to stay at home as long as I can and then just go in for the end in Peter. Don't want to be in hospital, don't want to be a bother. Just yeah, I, I've got this, it's fine. And then went in, got checked out, and they're like, mm, your blood pressure's a bit high. And I'm like, oh, is it? They're like, you're feeling right for kids? Well, fine. Don't know what I'm talking about. And they're like, mm, no, we might need to stay and monitor you. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, well, your waters are definitely broken, but like nothing else is happening. So we might have to stay and monitor you for a while. So I'm like, Okay, so did you I had, take a hospital bag with you? No, no, <laughs> I had nothing with me. I went in there with my phone and my wallet and my keys. That was it. Oh, so I'm just going to get checked, and I was going home. I'm like, that was I'm going home. Right, <laughs> it's part of the plan. <laughs> and so I went in there, and then of course, because Mum was home with Evie, so I knew that Steve was still at work. So I had to ring Steve, and he's like, "Hello," and I'm like, "Hi." I'm like, "Where are you?" Where are you? And he's like, "Oh, I'm just on my way home from work." I'm like, "Okay." Um, what time do you think you'll be home? He's like, why? And I'm like, mm, oh, I think my waters have just broken and I need, mum might have to come and get yourself. Right, oh, right, I'm on my way home. I said, don't speed. I said, don't crash. Like, just get yourself home as quickly as you can. I'll call mum and I'll get everything organised. <laughs> He's like, I was like, I'll be as soon as I can. I'm like, okay, just don't stop on that, but don't crash. But like, just get home as soon as you can. He's like, yep, no worries. And so then I called mum and I said, oh, okay, so my waters have broken. I've called Steve and she's like, oh, I've got Evie. I'm like, it's like Steve's on his way. I said, but before you come to the hospital, I need you to go home and I need you to finish packing my bag. <laughs> I need you to bring that in. And then she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so I've given her this big list of jobs to do before she can come in and see me. So she's like, all frantic and frazzled. And, oh, yeah, I've just made life really difficult for her, which is just You're basically I'm in labour and just organising the world. Yeah. Yes, yes. Typical place, all mum by choice, aren't you? Yes, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, she did all that. Steve got home safely. She went over to my place and finished packing everything up and came in and met me. And, yeah, we kind of sat around for a bit. The blood pressure was high, but I was feeling okay. I didn't want to be there. It was pushing on into the night by this time. And I'm like, if, we're like okay, well, we're going to have to induce you in the morning, but you're going to have to stay here overnight so we can monitor your blood pressure. And I'm like, no, I really have to say, I'm not going to get any sleep here. Can I, can I please go home? And mum's like, I'm a nurse. She goes, I know how to take blood pressure. I will go home with her and I will take her blood pressure at home. If you let us out, we'll promise we'll come back at six o'clock in the morning as long as you can let us go home. And they, thankfully they agreed to that. They're like, you must take it, you know, whoever rough and it was. And mum's like, yep, I'll come and do that. So they did, they let us go home and I got a little bit of sleep and we went in yeah, very early the next, the next Sunday morning. And they ended up inducing me about 7 a.m. and I laboured all day. Mm. And 9, 12 p.m. that night, when we guys arrived. <laughs> so it ended up being, I don't want to say natural, but. Yeah, so. The dramas, it natural, was a little so bit it was, earlier than what you were planning. 
Yeah, absolutely. I have. I thought I had still had weeks to go, even though she was, you know, two days early. But you know, <laughs> still had weeks to go. But I used a tens machine that one of my friends had given me, and that was an absolute godsend. Um, I'd also done hypno a hypnobirthing course with mum because mum was my birth partner. Um, was going to be in the room, of course, when a grandchild was born. So we did a hypnobirthing course together, um, which was really great. I the touchy feely side of it is not not for me, but. Mm-hmm. Some of the um, kind of the meditations and the recordings were really great of getting my mind in the right headspace of, you know, letting my body go because, you know, being, a, being an independent one, very controlling. I like to have things, well, you know. No, didn't pick that. Yeah, no, I didn't pick it up at all. <laughs> but, you know, being able to let go and trust my body and know what was going on and being able to prepare myself, that, that was the part that I found absolutely brilliant for me. So I had quite a few of those kind of podcasts on repeat that I listened to. I had my TENS machine and the gas. Oh, cannot praise the gas enough. <laughs> Magic stuff. So no epidural? No, no epidural. Oh, amazing. No other drugs. So, yeah, it was I was open to anything. I didn't have anything specific that I wanted, but I was open to anything. But I was, I just, yeah, just never felt like I needed anything stronger until, yeah, you obviously get to that point at the end where I said to mum, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. You're just going to have, they're going to have to just cut it out. I I can't, I can't do this anymore. And she's like, remember they said you'd get to this point and that's when you, this is when it's coming. Like it's it's really close. So you can, you can do this and you will do this. And and I did. I did I got there in the end and it was really special because my um because I was part of the midwife program I had only had very just very minimal intervention at the time I had a student nurse with me throughout my whole pregnancy as well so she was there and she was great giving me sips of water and rubbing my back and doing all those amazing things and yeah just had one midwife with me through the whole day so no doctors really coming in out all the time it was just me yeah. and the phone doing my thing which was exactly what I wanted um, and then towards the end, as I was pushing her out, mum was you know, down the business end and mum was actually able to um, deliver her out and lay her on my chest. The midwife allowed her to do that, which was such a precious moment. So my, you know, my mum delivered Remy to me, which was, yeah, just beautiful. Yeah, amazing. Sounds like there's absolutely nothing you would change. No. Maybe no. being more organised with your hospital bag. Possibly that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, it was, yeah. I couldn't have asked for a, a, a better labour. Like, you know, it was, I, I had a small tear, which put quite a couple of little stitches. But apart from that, it was all, yeah, pretty much smooth sailing. So, yeah, very, very lucky, very lucky. Pretty, pretty a cruisy pregnancy and a pretty cruisy labour. So, yeah. Did so you stay in hospital for long or did you, it sounds like you, what I'm getting uh, so far, you probably went home as not, soon as possible. <laughs> I wanted to go home that night, but they said, oh, look, you've you've just had a baby haven't really had much sleep your your mum hasn't had really any sleep at all so maybe just stay tonight and we'll do the hearing test in the morning and then you can go home straight after that and I'm like "Mm, fine (laughs) (laughs) I stayed one night in hospital (laughs) um and then yeah they did the hearing test in the morning and that was all good to go and then yeah we were home by probably 10 30 11 o'clock the next morning which was just what I wanted. <laughs> I was back in my house, my safe, my safe zone, my happy place, and I had my little miracle. So yeah, it was the best. <laughs> and were we, you living by yourself then, or did your mum come and stay yes. for a while? How did you manage the first few weeks with her? Yeah, so I lived by myself. Mum, mum, and my brother only live five minutes down the road from me. Oh, so it, the plan was, you know, I was. I stayed home the first day and I had a little nap while mum and because mum and Steve and Evie greeted us here when we got home on the first day. 
And so they stayed all day. So I got to have a bit of a nap and I'm like, oh, I'll be fine tonight. Like, you know, I've got this. It's totally fine. Mum's like, oh, well, I'll, I'll stay until you, you, know, you can give her a feed. Got You go to bed at nine o'clock. I'll stay until about midnight with her and then you can give her another feed and then I'll go home. Just make sure she's all right. I'm like, yeah, no worries. That sounds good. Good plan. I'll go and get some rest. No problem. So we did that. And she brought her into me about midnight and said, okay, I think she wants another feed. So I'm like, yep, yeah, no worries. So I fed her then. She goes, I'll, I'll go and put her to bed. You go back to sleep and then I'll head off. And I'm like, yeah, sure. No worries at all. And then I slept and slept and slept. And I wake up at about six o'clock and I'm like, oh, oh, slept really well. And I looked across into the bassinet and I'm like, where's Remy? I'm like, there's no baby in there. And I was so confused because, you know, I've had next to you know, no idea what's going on. It's still only 48 hours since I've had her. I'm like, have I, oh, yeah, I've no, I'm like, where is she? And I've gone into the actual nursery and there's mum in the rocking chair with Remy in her arms, just, just rocking away. Just through that. See, a lot of people say that second night can be the worst because, yeah, they're in that new environment. They don't really know what's going on. And I missed all of that because my mum did it for me without even asking, which is she just, she just did it. And then it was yeah, the best. So I gave her another feed then and I said to mum, you, you stay here, have a proper sleep. So I said she had a proper sleep on the couch then. And I took her back into Remington the bassinet and, yeah, we just we just started off on the best foot. <laughs> so mum stayed that, that first night at home, even though she wasn't really intended to, hadn't asked her to, that she just knew that that's what was needed. And, yeah, I was so grateful. And, yeah, and then after that I was fine they would come mum and Steve would come over and help in the evenings with dinner and things like that and then yeah they'd probably head off around nine o'clock that night and we just got into our routine and just did our thing. (laughs) And how old is Evie compared with Remy? So there's about three and a half years between them. So what was she like when uh, his little baby came along just think it's the best thing in the world or was she a bit weird? She she thought it was the best thing in the world they they love each other but they are like sisters. So they hate each other sometimes too. <laughs> so when she came on the scene, yeah, she loved her, but she was, Remy was a bit annoying or a bit boring because, you know, when they're babies, they don't do much. They're a bit annoying because, you know, they just wreck all your stuff and, you know, she's going through that preschool age at that stage too. So that's always quite fun. But as they're probably this last probably six months, they've become really close because they're at that really good age now where, you know, Remy can, she's got a fantastic imagination and she can talk with marbles on the border. <laughs> <laughs> So they just, yeah, they communicate really well and they get along on the same level and they're, yeah, they're, they're really good. They're just, they're like sisters, sister cousins, they call themselves. So it's, yeah. So it's, great that they're so close together yeah. and live so close as oh, well. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the, it's the best. We couldn't have asked for anything better. So yeah, it's a lovely little dynamic they've got going. <laughs> so how was the first, I guess, few months as solo mum reality? It was, I don't want to say it was easy, but it was it was easy. Like I said, the, I had the practical skills. I know how to swaddle. I know how to burp. I know how to do all those practical things. And I think that took a little bit of pressure away because I knew all the and tips and tricks you can use to settle babies you know, when they're um you know there's something going wrong. I think I probably struggled the most with the interrupted sleep. She was a, like a relatively great sleeper. She did good chunks of time. It was when she was going through a leap or something, and you know we'd have this great routine going, and then she'd go backwards, and I'd be like. What's going on here? We haven't woke up. Not my plan. What are you no, doing? We, we don't we don't do this. Like you haven't done this for months. Why are you going? What, what's going on here? <laughs> so it was those kind of things that I would struggle with. Um, but yeah, once you got back into a new routine, it's all all happy days again. And then she goes through some sort of other leap. And you're like, what what is this? We don't we don't wake up in the middle of the night, babe. <laughs> this is not what we do. <laughs> 
but yeah once we kind of get through that we got through those points then yeah it was good but babies are my jam babies are what I do I've worked in nurseries for the majority of my career in childcare, and like that's just what I do it's this preschool age that's testing all of my patients (laughs) it's the talking and the negotiating every single thing and and I want you to be a strong independent woman but not right now (laughs) can you do that for everyone else please just yes just just do what I ask you to do the first time (laughs) because how old is she now she's nearly five she'll be five at the end of October so yeah right in that preschool age and preschoolers have never been my never never been my favorite (laughs) (laughs) constant negotiation is just not for me so you know and she is a carbon copy. She's a mini me. Like she's stubborn and she's independent and it's her way or the highway and she's me to a T and it's karma. And I know all of that, but that doesn't help when I'm arguing with her. (laughs) (laughs) And so were you lucky enough to have a year off for her first year or when did you get off? I took um, about eight months off. Mm -hmm. So I had some long service and annual leave saved up that I could use plus the paid parental leave. And then Going back earlier was kind of always in the plan because like I know I knew I would have to go back to work and being in childcare was a little bit easier because yeah, she was coming to work with me. I was gonna say, did she go to your childcare? Because that would yeah. be very easy. Yeah. Yeah. Made it much easier, but it also gave me a new appreciation for all parents out there because even though like I, I knew these girls, you know, like the back of my hand, like I trusted them, you know, with it, I trusted them endlessly but still dropping her off. I'm like, oh, but they don't know her like I do. Like, you know, you, you got that. It, I always thought I understood it from a parent side, but until you are a parent yourself, you really don't. <laughs> yeah. And I knew how capable they were and I knew they would call if they knew. I knew all that stuff and I knew what would happen, how she would be there. I knew how well she would be loved and cared for, but still dropping her off that first day, I was like, oh, oh, I don't know about this. <laughs> but that soon went away. <laughs> Yeah, you soon ease into it and, yeah, we're all good to go. So she started her daycare when she was about five months old and mm-hmm. one day a week just to because uh, I wanted to ease her in and also to give me that little bit of a break at the, at the same time. I'm a big believer in the it takes a village to raise a child, but, you know, I also know that you need to build that village and yeah, the village just doesn't come, doesn't just rock up at your door if, you know, unannounced. You have to let people in. So that was part of my letting people in because these people were going to be my core support network. So you know, building those relationships with her from an early age, I knew was only going to be beneficial for her and for me. So, and it's, yeah, worked out that way. <laughs> I'm quite jealous of the one day to yourself a week from five months. That sounds lovely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was lovely. It does also help when you get staff discount at the childcare centre, even though I wasn't working at the time, I was still employed. So that does also make it a little bit more affordable. <laughs> so, yeah, quite lucky in that regard. So apart from your me time during that first kind of eight months to year, is there any other advice that you would give anyone who's maybe just about to have their first child of what they should be looking to do to make it as successful as possible? Be proactive in building your village. I think that's probably the most important thing I did. Um, Yeah, like it's, it's not just going to come to you. Think about the people in your life that you want to be good role models that, you know, you can just rely on to be able to get come and meet you for a coffee or you come and give you a chop out so you can go out for a drink with someone else or just those little things that can that you know that your child's going to bond with they're going to have those great relationships so that if one day you're not around they're not suddenly like oh hang on what's going on here like there's been cases where I've had to travel for work and I 
Remy's been either at my mum's place or she's gone to a friend's place. In some cases, she's gone to my mum's, my friends, and then another friend's in the same weekend because that's just how it's happened to be the juggle. Yeah. And she's so resilient and she's just coped brilliantly because it's she's used to kind of that environment. She's used, she knows that she's safe and that she trusts these people. She's got that deep connection with them. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to my grandma's house. Yep, and then I'm going to go to Nika's. Yep, and then I'm going to go to Marie's. Like the, she knows these people and it's just part of her life. And she's like, oh, yeah, I feel safe here. And it's so grateful she has so many places where she can feel safe rather than just me. And because yeah, there's can be very isolating when it's just you. I think that a lot of things I see in mums when they're really struggling is that they're touched out. They, you know, they, they, they just can't handle any more mum, 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 mum. And it's, I totally get it. But you really have to let other people help you. You, it's, you have to open that door because people will offer, but unless you actually make an effort to you know, initiate those kinds of things, people don't want to overstep. But, so it's really important that you reach out and say, hey, can you do this for me? This would help me. And people will jump at the chance. I think that's the thing where mm-hmm. most of us on this journey are such strong, stubborn, independent women. Otherwise, we wouldn't have embarked on this in the first place. Exactly. We're not very good at uh, accepting help. But no. it's actually <laughs> the best thing for you and your children mm-hmm. if you do. Mm-hmm. Even if it's something yeah. simple, like mm-hmm. someone picking you up something from the supermarket so that you don't have to spend that time to go and do it. Exactly. Take the help. Absolutely. And I think that's another thing I did in the early days as well with, you know, because I came home from hospital and I was feeling well, I see you know, because you kind of say to people, I'll just give us some time to get to know each other and then come and visit. I was feeling so well. I was at home bored and I'm like, guys, if you want to come and visit, please come and visit now while I'm well, because in, who knows what's going to happen in two, three, four weeks time. I'm, I might fall in a hole, but so come now. I said, but if you're coming, let me know when you're coming bring me a coffee or an afternoon tea or lunch or bring me something with you and you can have the baby while I eat. <laughs> I said, yeah, don't come empty-handed. Always bring a coffee or lunch or something. <laughs> Just those little things made a big difference, Cause especially when you're breastfeeding too. You know, you you kind of sit down and you're stuck there for 30, 40 minutes. You're like, oh, I don't have a water or anything like it's she's down for a nap do, do I eat do I shower do I get the food ready do I what what do I do now <laughs> which one takes priority do I smell exactly. or yeah exactly yeah because you have such small windows of opportunity in those early days so yeah it really helps if other people yeah just look after you in those first those first few weeks just don't say no to anything don't be too proud <laughs> And so if you look back on your journey now of conceiving and the, the journey you went through to get Remy, is there any advice you'd give anyone who's starting out or just considering whether this journey is the right one for them? If it's a thought in your mind, look into it now. Don't wait. Don't wait for a milestone birthday. Like I wish I had have started earlier. Um, you know, it might not have taken me four rounds. I might, I might have decided to have more than one. Um, Remy, I decided very early on that once I'd had Remy, like she was... She, I call her my unicorn baby because yeah, she slept well, she ate well, she, yeah, she's amazing. Like she's she's just the best. And I thought if I have a second one and it turns out to be the devil, like I'll never myself, it won't sleep, it won't, it'll just it'll be it'll be a nightmare. And I thought if I if I had another one, it would have meant, you know, bigger house, bigger car, you know, we would have been, we would have survived, but we wouldn't have been able to enjoy life. Whereas if it's just Remy and I, we can we can live, we can go on overseas holidays we can we can do lots of camping trips we can we can really live and be comfortable and I can give 
better life that I want to give her. Whereas if I had another one, it would have been much more difficult for me on the wage I was on. So I making those sacrifices. But if I was younger, I might have had a bit more energy about me. And I thought, you know, I was, was 36, nearly 37 when I had her. Mm-hmm. And it does, that age, it doesn't seem that old, but it does make a difference. Your energy levels are definitely much more reduced <laughs> than them to be especially as they get older so the thought of having yeah another toddler to run around now after or just oh I don't I don't even know I applaud the people that have multiples <laughs> absolutely on their own I don't know how they do it but yeah if it's in a thought in your mind go and look into it don't wait yeah. just do it it's already in it's already in your heart it's not going to go away you're only going to get older just go and do it <laughs> You won't, you will never regret it. I've never regretted it one minute of my life. <laughs> and so you went back to work and how was life now or since then? So I went back to work um, and, you know, we kind of cruised along. All was going really well, working working full time. She was in daycare full time, spending some time with my mum on the side. Um, and then about 18 months ago, I was diagnosed with stage four bowel cancer, which was a huge shock. Um, had some very, very minimal symptoms. So if you look at that, the symptoms of bowel cancer, um, it's, you know, changes to your poo, to your blood in your poo, changes to your, you know, your bowel habits and things like that. I didn't really have any of that. I had a bit of pain in my abdomen and that was it. Um, I looked into getting a colonoscopy done, which is in the middle of COVID, <laughs> nearly impossible. Um, and so ended up getting a CT done and my doctor found a huge mass and she's like, oh, this is not good. And we got things kind of pushed through and sped along and, yeah, discovered a huge tumour in my bowel, which has unfort- had unfortunately spread to my ovaries and quite a few other places. So being stage four means that I am have a terminal diagnosis, which was really um really hard to hear knowing that Remy already doesn't have a father and that she's you know one day going to lose her mum um so that's obviously just heartbreaking and we're fighting it with everything we can give it um but the fight is unfortunately not going the way we want it to at the moment but we're still praying for that miracle um that's also another reason why I'm so grateful that I've built the village of support I have around myself and her for these years, you know, not knowing that this was going to happen, of course, but knowing that, you know, if the worst does happen, she is going to be so well loved and cared for. She will obviously miss me, but she will be so well taken care of. And I know that my memory will be, she, she'll have no luck getting away from me because everyone is going to make sure that they know exactly who I am and where she comes from and how loved she is and how much I love her. Oof. I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> it's kind of the first time I've really talked about that actually. Out loud, anyway. <laughs> so the great thing about this podcast is that Remy's going to be able to listen to this and hear the beautiful story of her amazing, strong, stubborn, determined mother, and how much she wanted to have a baby of her own, and how loved Remy is, and 
By the sounds of it, she's going to grow up exactly the same. Oh, exactly the same. My brother and I have (laughs) had quite a number of conversations, you know, about what might happen as things go on. And he said, oh, the foundation you've laid for her. He's like, oh, there's there's no way. Because Remy is very much a carbon copy of me and Evie is very much a carbon copy of Steve. Like they're wild and spontaneous, whereas we are cautious and planned and <laughs> this is just what we're doing. He's like, that won't ever change, Kelly. That that that's in her. Like that, there's no there's no amount of wrestling on the bed and throwing her on the bed after the shower that can break that out. <laughs> I'm in her, whether she likes it or not. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's tough it's really hard but we're doing our best to make a lot of fun memories for her in the meantime things like this are just so valuable (laughs) so so valuable um knowing that you know she'll be able to hear her story if I'm not around to tell it is yeah something else it's we talk about her being donor conceived and she knows she knows and she but she doesn't focus on that part of things she talks about I don't have a dad. My family is mum and Uncle Steve and Grandma and Evie and Peppa, which is the dog, <laughs> and that's her family. She focuses on what she's got, not what she doesn't have, and I value that so much. But, you know, I know that as she gets older, she is going to have these questions and, you know, I'm not going to be here to answer them. So things like this are so special. The amazing solo mum village that we've created as well is going to be so special um they're going to play a huge role i i just know that you know when i go they will step in you know she will still go to the annual camping trip at lake fines every year she will still go be invited to all of those birthday parties and all those friendships that she has with those beautiful donor conceived children are going to continue long after i'm gone so knowing that you know i've created those bonds for her as well reassures me as well that you when she has questions from when we eventually goes to school and, you know, other kids talk about strange things, you know, she'll have other donor kids to talk about those things with. She'll have other, you know, mums that have used donor sperm. She can ask those kind of questions with because she's got those relationships with them already. So as much, I, I want to be here, but if I'm not, I know she's going to be okay. I think she's going to be an absolute superstar. How could she not with you as a mum? I think so too. <laughs> already is so you know look out well (laughs) and so I'm guessing Steve will be taking that role yeah so my mum and my brother yeah will take on so when it eventually gets to the point where I can't look after Remy here on my own which you know will be hopefully quite a few months away yet um, we will move in with them and we'll stay there until the time comes but yeah so she's aware of that and she's quite excited to move in with grandma and uncle steve and evie we've lived with them before after i um, had my surgery we lived with them for about a month so she's yeah she knows what it's like and yeah as i said the girls get along like siblings already so it's yeah it will just kind of slot right in and hopefully make the transition a little bit easier for her yeah when the time comes but yeah i'm sure that makes it although it's I can't think of a worse situation. Mm. It makes it a little bit easier on your heart as well, knowing that she's going to be in such a beautiful environment yes. with people that you care about so much. And yeah, absolutely. TV and that, that yeah. Will very much keep your memory alive for. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it does make it. It's, yeah, no, I would, would not wish this upon anybody. 
but yeah, knowing that she is going to be in the right place and with the right people and yeah, in almost in a strange way, yeah, my dad died unexpectedly in a work accident. Um, you know, as I said, when I was 27, that was a shock. That was, you know, no one really got, no one, no one got time to say goodbye, but you know, we all knew that we loved each other. We're a very close-knit family anyway. Knowing that this is coming, it gives me time to prepare things for her. And I'm not sure which is lovely, but I'm kind of not sure which is worse. <laughs> yeah. How much do you do? Am, am I not doing enough? You know, what should I be doing? What else could I be doing? You know, um, yeah, I'm writing her birthday cards for the next, you know, 13 years, you know, I'm recording videos. I'm you know, doing all these things. What else should I be doing? What questions might she have, you know? you're trying to predict the future, but, you know, it's, you also have to put some trust in the people that know you and that they'll be around to answer those questions as well. So, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> Are you still working now? Or? Yeah, just two days a week at the moment. Yeah, because otherwise, like, what am I going to do? Just sit around, like, and wait to die? No, thank you. <laughs> it's not It's not who I am. Yeah. Like, so. Are your energy levels and stuff okay? Yeah, they're not, they're pretty good. So yeah, it's, I've said I'll, I'm working shorter days. I only work about six, six and a half hour days, which is, I've worked the same company for 22 years. I've got plenty of sick leave there to make up any last time. Um, but yeah, so I just went, yeah, just two days a week from home and yeah, they're really great. So if I'm feeling really crappy, like I only, I don't do anything centre facing anymore. So I work in the business improvements team now. So I can yeah, just kind of do bits and pieces in the background and yeah, I just meet with my team. So if I'm feeling crappy, I just lay on the couch here and, you know, have the laptop facing down and they can see I'm laying down. They're like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. What my, what's in my brain, not what I look like. So <laughs> yeah, they're, they're absolutely brilliant. So I can't, can't complain there. It's lucky. Yeah. Yeah, it is lucky. Yeah, so I'll just keep doing that for as long as I can. So, yeah. Yeah, I was doing three days before this latest setback, but three days was just a bit much with, yeah, I'm going to have to try and organise some more life admin stuff and, yeah. I'll try and make some amazing memories and do some cool things as well, I imagine. That's what I would be. If it was me, I'd be like, what are all the bucket list things I want to take off? So Exactly. Yeah, well, we're off to Dubbo next weekend with some friends. Yeah, get it all in before we get locked down again. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> exactly. And that that's the other thing. I feel like I've been robbed of time because cancer and the COVID. Like, you know, even you know, before COVID, people could have come and sat with me when I was in the chemo chair. But you know, Steve could come for the first session, but after that it was just me on my own. So I would just take my laptop in and end up working because I'm like, oh, I'm sitting here for four hours. Like I feel fine. I'm well doing something. So yeah, it's just it's just a well, it's never a good time to have cancer, but during COVID, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> Uh, but luckily the nurses in there are absolutely brilliant like I'm not going into the day ward anymore because I'm on chemo tablets for the moment but I'm, I miss the nurses because the nurses make you feel so welcome and they're so upbeat and they're just they're brilliant like they're you just have to be pretty special to work in that role wouldn't you yeah absolutely and I, I miss seeing them because I'm like oh, I miss that kind of you know you're in there for a really shitty reason but like they did make they make it fun you know to sit in a chair for four hours <laughs> god bless them <laughs> Oh, I wish it was a different outcome. I really hope to be wrong. I hope so too. I'm hoping, praying for that miracle. I don't believe, I'm not religious in any way, but I'm still praying for that miracle. Yeah, I'm stubborn. They won't get me. I'm too stubborn to die. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. You know, I'll just, make, I'll just manifest that. <laughs> Are you making contact with the donor or barter or any of that stuff? I haven't yet. I'd always thought that I'd leave it up to Remy, 
when she'd shown an interest, we've read books from day dot. So as I said, she's very comfortable in knowing she doesn't have a dad and that she has a donor and that, you know, her family is what she's got. Um, so I was always going to leave it up to her if she wanted to make early contact, I was going to do that. If not, now I'm, I'm almost in two minds. I'm like, do I try it and do something now? But then if I'm not here, like, what, I, don't, I don't I don't know. I think I'll probably end up just leaving it and then leaving it up to Stephen mum to do with him maybe with the help from the, the other solo mums in our little village to to support them through that. So, yeah, if she, if she showed more of an interest, I probably would, but she couldn't give two hoots. She just she just shows no interest in any of it. So I'm like, okay, she knows that's you know I think, feel like I've done my part there, and like and she's and she's very switched on. So I feel like if she had a burning desire, she'd be asking me about it, but it does, doesn't even register ever. <laughs> it probably helps a lot that she grew up with Stephen Evie and like yes. as a dad. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it doesn't feel, not. Yeah, she doesn't know like she's missing out. I suppose that's the other piece of advice I would say is you you do have to do all that icky life admin stuff you do need to do the hard yards think about it for a week make some appointments do the hard stuff go to that yucky place and think what happens if so that you know if worse comes to worse because you know i could walk out on the street tomorrow and get hit by a bus Mm -hmm. it might not be the cancer that gets me it could be a car accident it could be i could get struck by lightning like and it can happen to anybody you know, you just, you never know what's around the corner. We don't like to think about the bad stuff, but at the end of the day, we are so much to these little people that we owe it to them to, you know, take that little extra step and you know, be that bit more proactive about, you know, protecting them. About what might happen. So if she's listening to this, hearing your beautiful voice, hearing her wonderful story, is there anything that you'd like to, to leave her with? I love you, Remy. <laughs> Oh dear. Oh, she is. She's just the best. She's the best little kid you'll ever meet. She's going to move mountains, that girl. Yeah. And I do love her. I love her more than anything ever. She's the bee's knees. Oh, just that she has been the best thing that ever happened to me. The absolute best thing. I've never regretted one minute of having you ever you were just the absolute best made me so happy and I can't imagine doing life with anybody else just the two of us has been all I ever wanted and I'm so proud of you